Tom Kearney here. The Tom Kearney Show comes your way every night, Monday through Friday from 9 until 10, with a little bit of live and in real-time radio. And I'll remind you again that when you get in your car, make sure that the AM on the AM level that you have AM 680 set and on the FM level 98.5 so you can listen to WPTF. It is St. Patrick's Day, and uh, my ancestry, at least on one side, is Irish. I think on the other side it may be Scottish, but uh, the name Kearney is, a, is, a, is an Irish name, and, and uh, I've known that since I was a little kid and always tried to learn as much as I could about, about Ireland. And, uh, and because of that, I, I always wanted to do something on St. Patrick's Day. And what I decided to do about 10 or 12 or yay many years ago was to do a meditation. And that would allow me to sort of do what I want to and just sort of tell you my thoughts on having an Irish ancestry and and the relationship between the Irish and the Americans uh, because it's, uh, I think, a kind of a special relationship. And one of the things that's special is that a lot of the music, what we call American folk music, uh, is music that has come across the ocean from Ireland and uh, uh, made its way, in some cases, to the Appalachians, where we get what we call country music. Uh, but um, And so every year when we've done this, I went out about 20 years ago and, and, and looked up some songs that would be good Irish songs, and one that I, I wanted to, to have, and which we will play here in just a, a few seconds, is... Uh, uh, a song about Ireland written by an American folk singer, a uh, popular singer. Uh, Johnny Cash, it turns out, went to Ireland to, to do a, a tour once and was, was going about appearing at a, a, one of the venues there. And he was uh, uh, led to, to write a song about Ireland. I don't know if we're going to play all of this, but we're going to certainly play some of it. It's actually not by Johnny Cash. It's a played a tribute to him, that is this rendition of the song written by Johnny Cash. It's actually played by his daughter and some uh, folk singers from Ireland and Scotland. Uh, John, if we can uh, check it out now, 40 Shades of Green. Okay, John, we can let it go now. That's uh, Roseanne Cash uh, singing a song written by her father. Clearly, he's in love with the place. Forty Shades of Green, and our part of our commemoration of St. Patrick's Day. Uh, one of the things that, and, and you can see the connection between American music and, and the Irish folk songs, the music that you would hear in an Irish pub uh, there, listening to that song. One of the things that is, I think, interesting and unique and striking about Ireland is that it doesn't have a lot of people. Uh, The population of Ireland in, uh, say, 1845, a day chosen because that's the year that the potato famine began, was up to about 8 million. And uh, during the potato famine, about half of those people disappeared. And so it got down to about 4 million. Disappeared means that probably 2 million of them starved to death. I said, do you, uh, I, I want you to notice I said the word starved to death because they were so dependent on, um, on the potato and the potato rot took away the potatoes and the 
their Irish, uh, they, at that time Ireland was a British colony and under the control of the British who were not uh, uh, willing to uh, help them by sending them food. Uh, it was kind of a, a, a dog-eat-dog existence, according to uh, the uh, British um, minister, George Trevelyan, who ran the, the, the effort uh, to uh, sometimes take a little corn. Actually, sometimes in that period, Ireland was actually exporting food while its people were starving to death. But the population uh, went down by about half, and today the population of Ireland is about 4.7 million, which is less than half of the number of people in North Carolina. But it's amazing what they have produced in terms of music and writing. Uh, in At the end of the 20th century, uh, in the year 2000, they, they had there were various votes on the the best writers of the last century, the most outstanding influences. And curiously enough, the greatest novel written in English in the 20th century was picked to be James Joyce, an Irishman's Ulysses, and the most outstanding poet writing in the English language was W.B. Yeats, uh, an Irishman there too. So they probably, the two groups who produced the most... Uh, literature in, in the Western tradition uh, for their size are the Jewish writers and the Irish writers. And uh, uh, they're just, uh, there's an awful lot of that. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in a survey done uh, just a few years ago, uh, I think it was in 2015, uh, between the days of the census, uh, there's one in 2010, and we haven't gotten the results of the 2020 census yet. But uh, uh, People indicated uh, what they thought their ancestry was, where they came from, and uh, most people, myself included, would have thought that English was was the predominant one, was the largest. But actually, it's German. It may have been English in 1776, but uh, lots of Germans have come to America. So I'm going to tell you the top five, and so that will be our little one of our little bits of trivia tonight, uh, as we pay tribute to St. Patrick's Day. Germans, people declaring themselves to have German ancestry was number one. The second group uh, in terms of ancestry, in terms of numbers of the population, were black African-Americans. Uh, number three was Mexican-Americans. Uh, uh, number four were the Irish. Now, you've got to remember that, that Ireland has produced this number from a population that was probably never in the period that the people were coming over 8 million, and most of the times was half of that. In fact, my ancestors came to America before the Revolutionary War. It had nothing to do with potatoes. And they were just poor and didn't have much of a chance, so they thought they'd try it across the ocean. And they came. I don't know all the specifics of it, but I know they were here probably by 1750. And uh, But uh, they were part of the, the great number of Irish people that came but these are people coming from a small place that didn't have very many people. So it's Germans, African-Americans, Mexicans, Irish, and then the English, who we thought would be first, are actually fifth. And you can look that up. You can Google that if you want to check that out a little bit more. Uh, so we're going to um, do, have a piece of music that has something to do with uh, the... Uh, uh, coming to America of lots of Irish people. Uh, there was not much going on in Ireland. The economy was not that good, and people uh, didn't have much of a chance uh, to uh, to get ahead or, in some cases, to even survive. And so there were lots of uh, Irish that came to America, 
and America became sort of the uh, the the Isle of Hope for the people from the Irish island. And we're going to have a song by Tommy Fleming called Isle of Hope after we take this break on WPTF. America began to place that the Irish could, could leave to go to to have a, a better hope. And a song that uh, presents that and it's come out lately is by a man named Tommy Fleming, who's an Irish singer, and it's called Isle of Hope. John, can we play Isle of Hope? John, John, we can we can let Tommy Fleming know now that uh, Tommy Fleming's version of Isle of Hope, and of course the Isle that uh, that the Hope is put on here is the Isle is Ellis Island, where little Mary came when she was only 15 years old and had a paper bag and everything she had in the world, and she was alone. Uh, but her hope was uh, for the future. It's something to do in America. She probably became a maid, as a matter of fact. And one of the things that's pointed up to by historians is the a lot of the Irish influence in America came from Irish women who tended to marry late, if at all, and uh, had a great influence over the culture in which they helped to uh, create. And that's why the, the, these numbers who came after uh, the potato famine, that uh, there are probably more Irishmen in uh, in New York than any Irish city. Certainly the only city that would be anywhere near would be Dublin. Dublin has about a million uh, of the four million, that four point, it's actually 4.7 million that are in Ireland. The next largest town in Ireland, I believe, is, is Cork, but uh, the, the, which has about 200,000 people. It's, it's mostly rural. Ireland, as a matter of fact, sort of missed the Industrial Revolution. Uh, and uh, when I made my first trip to Ireland, which was in about 1990, they were uh, doing very well economically because they had, uh, while skipping the Industrial Revolution and going from an agrarian economy, they had gone to a high-tech economy. Uh, they backslid a little bit economically. They're no longer referred to as the as the Gaelic Tiger in, in terms of the economy, but they are, are doing better and they have more jobs and a lot of uh, people that worked in the field of uh, computers, uh, young people came to America to work, and some of them end up going back to Ireland. And so that's uh, strengthened the economy there, and it, things are not as poor as they were at one time and so on. But uh, Isle of Hope uh, was uh, the opportunity for the uh, the Irish to come to America and, uh, and create uh, uh as I said, a uh, city you know, within New York City. Uh, an awful lot of the people who were prominent in, in uh, politics, prominent in, uh, in uh, the constabulary. Irish cops were on every corner. The Irish tended to be clannish and tend to, to vote together and to uh, have a, a, a bit of political power to wield because of that. And uh, you ended up with having Irish mayors uh, like Adam Smith and Jimmy Walker, who was a uh, mayor in the in the uh, in the in the 1930s, and uh, created a great political machines. And of course, in New England, you had the Kennedys and the Fitzgeralds. And of course, we got a president out of that, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. He was Irish, 
on both sides. And he actually went to Ireland uh, in uh, about six months before he was assassinated in uh, 19, uh, let's see, 1963. About 23 of the Americans, I think we were up to about a 46th president, and 23 of them, about half, have Irish connections. Are, uh, have Irish heritage of varying of varying degrees, both sides, as would be the case with John Kennedy. But I looked this up uh, earlier today. John Kennedy was had Irish ancestry. Andrew Jackson was what you would call Scots Irish and was born in North Carolina or South Carolina, depending who, who you who you listen to uh, near Charlotte. James K. Polk, the North Carolina other North Carolinian, who was born. Uh, Near Charlotte, in South Charlotte, a place called Pineville, was had Irish ancestry. James Buchanan, uh, his parents were from Donegal and Tyrone. Donegal, of course, the northernmost extension of the Irish Republic. Andrew Johnson, who was born right here in Raleigh, North Carolina, had Irish ancestry. Ulysses S. Grant, great grandfather, came from Tyrone, the county Tyrone. Chester A. Arthur was. Uh, of Irish ancestry. His father came from Antrim, which is not very far from Tyrone, as a matter of fact. Grover Cleveland, who uh, was two terms as president, his uh, grandfather came from Antrim. Benjamin Harrison uh, was uh, his his uh, grandfather came from Antrim. Antrim is in uh, eastern Ireland, and not too far from from uh, Dublin. You can drive from coast to coast in Ireland in, in about two hours. Uh, one tends to think it's larger than it is. Franklin Roosevelt, uh, William McKinley's grandfather came from Antrim. Franklin Roosevelt, uh, his ancestors came from Antrim. A lot of, uh, of people who became president of the United States, uh, Irish connections. William Howard Taft had Irish connections, as did Woodrow Wilson. Uh, his grandfather came from Tyrone. Henry, Harry Truman had Irish connections. From His ancestors came from Donegal and Tyrone. Uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, we've already mentioned him. Lyndon Johnson had Irish ancestors. All of these now, we, we must remember, come from a country that only had, uh, during most of this time, somewhere between 4 and 5 million people. It, it did get up to 8 million before the potato famine, but uh, about half of those people disappeared. They either died or left. Richard Nixon uh, had uh, ancestors from Kildare in southwestern Ireland. Gerald Ford had ancestors from, from Ireland, too. And uh, uh, let's see, I need to, to check something on my, my schedule here. And, uh, John, we're going to take a break here for the news, and then we'll be back. Ah, I can notice March 17th at St. Patrick's Day. And we're doing a little bit of a meditation on St. Patrick's Day. Just a few songs and some information that uh, may... Uh, pay a proper tribute to the number of Irish people that uh, have uh, moved out of Ireland and uh, the diaspora is, I think, what it's called when they have gone all over the world and they are there. They have gone to a lot of places in the British Empire and other places, uh, but at the same time, uh, a rather large number, the largest number, came to America and created Boston, and uh, not created Boston, but created the great Irish community in Boston uh, that is well known. It would produce the Kennedys and the Fitzgeralds and, and in and New York and, and in other places in America, in, in Chicago. I guess that's why they colored the water in the Chicago River green at this time of year. 
Uh, and uh, a lot of Irish came to New Orleans, as a matter of fact, uh, at, at the time when the Irish people were leaving because there were really no economic, uh, no economic uh, opportunities in Ireland. We're going to play a couple more songs, one right here in just a moment called The Fields of Athenry, which is uh, a tribute uh, to uh, a recognition of the fact that uh, Ireland was for so long a British colony and uh, and uh, the Irish were treated, well, they were treated poorly. Uh, one has to only look at the kind of cartoons, uh, one of the standard Irish and racial jokes that was batted about in, in England and in America was that the reason they invented the wheelbarrow is so the Irish would st- could stand up right. And, of course, in America, those jokes were first used on the largest group to come from another country, who came pretty much as a group, and that was the Irish. And and after the, the racial jokes had been used up on the Irish, they used them on the Italians and then uh, the Poles and uh, other groups. Uh, but uh, the Irish were... Uh, were always drawn, well, almost always drawn, as if they were uh, some somewhere near the m- missing link that Darwin may have may have thought of, and, and so on. But uh, there is a song called "The Fields of Bath and Rye," which is about a young man who who breaks into a uh, place to steal some food, in this case corn, so he can feed his children, and is arrested and is transported, which is what happened to a lot of Englishmen, and he was transported, I think, to Australia. That's how Australia got a lot of its people, and indeed how Georgia got a lot of its people, is that uh, they they were taken away and uh, sent away, and usually it was the last that was ever seen of them. And there is a a young lady in this song who uh, doesn't get to see her guy again, I guess. But uh, this is a song that... uh, the, the sports crowds, the Irish sports crowds sing to, to, to have togetherness. And uh, I am told and I have read that it's, uh, it's at the point in the soccer match, particularly if they're playing England or Great Britain, not Great Britain, England, that uh, the English, uh, that business gets serious here. And so uh, this, I think, is the doublers with Patty Riley. And the song is The, the Fields of Athenry. John? And John Leonard sitting to Tom Kearney of the Tom Kearney Show, 940 is the time. That's uh, the Dubliners and Patty Riley and the, the Fields of Athen Rye. And one little incident that uh, is part of uh, the continuing. Uh, it's been fairly peaceful lately, in fact, since uh, the, the, the troubles uh, were, were turned down between Northern Ireland and uh, the, the part of Ireland that is a part of the, the United Kingdom uh, about, uh, I guess, 1998. It's not been as, as much antagonism, but uh, it, it is historical, and it, uh, well, it probably is not going to go away, and that, that song is uh, a tribute to that. Uh, the guy stole some corn to feed the kids, and they transported him. I think he ended up in, in Australia, and the, the, his his mate had to raise the children on her own. Uh, part of uh, a recognition of the bad feeling uh, within the uh, the great the, the community in, in the area of Great Britain uh, and and Ireland. Uh, as I said, this is a, a, a kind of 
meditation on, on the Irish and Irish feeling. And uh, I have to tell my Irish story now. And uh, uh, I had, as I said earlier in the program, I always wanted to go to Ireland. And in 1989, I finally got to go. And it turned out to be uh, something that uh, was a more moving experience than I expected it to be. Because uh, I'd studied a lot of history, and I knew a lot about the history. But once one gets one's feet on the ground and actually sees some of the, the 40 shades of green, and the, the seemingly endless rock walls. Uh, Mrs. Kearney and I, I think, concluded that God had made Ireland and made the world, and we all the spare rocks had been swept up and, and left in Ireland to build walls. Most of the walls, by the way, set off small plots uh, that different uh, families, uh, different people, different entities own because most of the farms are not very big, and the walls are dry walls. They're not, uh, there's no mortar in them, but uh, that's something that one sees. My favorite place in Ireland is, is Dingle, which is at the left end of Ireland. If you look at a map, the, the peninsula that sticks out as far as you can, as it can go, is Dingle, and the city of Dingle, or the town, it's really a town or village, is uh, I would say about 10 miles from the end of that. It's not right at the end, but the story I'm going to tell you is about something that is at the end of that. If you saw the movie uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, pretending to be Charles Lindbergh, the, the first people that uh, Lindbergh uh, was able to wave at to commemorate his, his crossing of the Atlantic were fishermen in the, in the village of Dingle. Uh, when we went on our first trip to, to Ireland, we went to Dingle. And uh, it had been a trying drive across the, the, because the roads were not particularly good and there were some sheep that had to be waited for and some cows that had to be waited for on, on the road. But Mrs. Kearney and I finally got there and we actually went into a church uh, to sit down and get some rest and cool off. And the minister came out and said, have you been to the end yet? And I, I was tired, and I said, I don't think I'm going to go to the end. And he said, oh, you must go to the end. So so we did go to the end, and that is where the, the end of the peninsula turns, and you go around and back up the other side. And I was glad I did because it turned out to be uh, what I called uh, the, the greatest day of my life. A lot of Everybody has a great day, something when everything seems to sort of gel and come together and... Uh, uh, some people don't know when theirs was, but I do know when mine was, and it was that day. Uh, and it was uh, at the end. There is a uh, what uh, an author named uh, McCarthy. Well, let's see what McCarthy's first name is. Uh, Pete McCarthy, travel writer, uh, who was part Irish and part English, uh, has a page in one of his books called McCarthy's Bar, which I recommend to you. I'll recommend a couple of other books on Ireland in a moment. But he... Uh, he uh, had essentially the same reaction uh, that I did uh, to uh, the the going to the end at the end of the island or at the end of the peninsula. You can uh, it's called Slay Head. That the head is the end of the island, of course, and uh, uh, it is where I had my my special day. Uh, you, you drive there, and it's a road that, uh, on the right-hand side, the, the, the hill goes up uh, a couple of hundred feet, and on the left side, it goes down a couple of hundred feet right to the ocean. And uh, as we came to the end of the of the 
Vanessa about to take uh, the turn. Well, I'll read what McCarthy wrote about it. He says, on a sharp bend in the road looking out to the Blasket Islands is a life-size tableau, he calls it, of the crucifixion. And there it was. And it was just Mrs. Kearney and I standing out there. And it seemed kind of warm, and it seemed awfully quiet. But uh, the Blasket Islands are a group of islands off the coast where all people lived until 1952, but there was no uh, no modern conveniences, no plumbing, no electricity. So they took the, the Irish, uh, took the people off and, and moved them to the, to the mainland in 19, uh, 1952. So we're there with the tableau of the crucifixion as the sun disappeared briefly behind the clouds. And this is what he wrote, and this is what happened. It's, on, it's eerie that it's the same. Then re, The sun then reappears. There's a dazzling display of light on water. Great Blasket Island seems to come in and out of focus as twinkling sunbeams bounce off the waves, surrounding it with a shimmering halo. It is, it's so clear that way off to the south, the Skelligs, another group of islands, are visible, shimmering on the horizon like an illusion. As I stand at the cliff's edge, a spontaneous, non-specific wave of emotion surges up inside me. I don't know where it's directed or why it's happening, only that it feels unconditional. A tear wells up into my eye. I try to understand why this is happening, he says because much as uh, I love West Cork and the fields where I played as a child, it doesn't have that, didn't have that physical effect on me then. Perhaps it's because, he said, Dingle was the place I visited the first time I came to Ireland, alone without my mother and father. Maybe it's conjuring up a lost and carefree youth. I don't believe it made me cry then, though it's probably more likely that I'm just having an everyday mystical experience. So why not just relax and get on with it? And that's exactly how I felt, too. So I know when my golden day was. We're going to pause now. We're going to come back, and we'll mention a couple of books that you can read to uh, learn some stuff about the Irish. And, of course, we've got to have our annual edition of Danny Boy right after this. A tribute to St. Patrick's Day, uh, a little bit of a meditation on things Irish and Irish music and uh, my personal reactions to to Ireland. I want to mention uh, a couple of books. We've already talked about one of them called McCarthy's Bar by a guy named Pete McCarthy. And another book is a historical book by Thomas Flanagan called The Year of the French. Uh, and uh, well, I appreciate everyone listening. Tomorrow night, Dr. Edward Funkhauser will be our guest. Here's Frank Patterson and Danny Boy. And I will sleep.